Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's going on here at the Met, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Now, enjoy the message. How are we doing this morning? Yes, it is great to have you here. We're in the middle of a series called Vacation, and I'm excited because we have Scott Lamilia here, our family life pastor, and it's great to have you here. Scott. I'm excited to be here, too. This is be a great. Earlier today, we did the welcome, and there was a smattering of claps. I'm like, man, it's only up from here. I feel good about it, but that's a good response earlier, so I'm feeling great. It's good. <laughs> good. Well, Scott is part of our executive team here, and he oversees all of your uh, kids from birth through uh, 18 years old, and he does a great job. And I know this has been actually difficult for y'all because of the fact that with all of this social distancing, we haven't been able to have the services. But y'all have been doing a lot to get to reach kids. Yeah, we really have. It's been a challenge. We try to, to you know, translate everything we do on campus onto the digital space. And, and Logan, our kids pastor, and Corey, our youth pastor, and, and all our teams that work together have done a great job of trying to make sure that we still take the message of Jesus. And even though we can't convey it here on campus, but we can actually take it and convey it right to the heart of the home through our digital spaces. And so it's been a challenge, but we've been doing it every week. We've been doing something different. Last week, actually, our youth ministry, we had a little Christmas service in July. It was a lot, a lot of fun. Apparently, Santa Claus, he's, uh, he's kind of lost his way, too, because of COVID-19. He's confused. Every day seems like the next, so he came this past week. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> and so we've been doing everything we can to yeah. make ministry happen. And that's why we've been telling y'all, make sure that you are liking our pages, like Met uh, Youth, might like uh, uh, Met Kids as well, and subscribe to us on, on YouTube, because when you do that and you put those notifications, you know when we go live, and we're trying to make sure that we stay as connected to you as possible yeah. and to do that. Well, this series, we've been uh, talking about vacation, and so everybody's come up here, I've asked them, what do you like to do on vacation? So what do you like to do? Well, I should probably first start by saying that my wife's favorite vacation spot is the beach. It says, Mama didn't raise no fool. My favorite vacation spot is the beach. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I like the beach. You just have to understand my wife loves the beach. She's Cuban. And so La Playa runs through her veins. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we have a lot of fun when we go there. We got to build sand castles. My kids and I we like to frolic in the shallow water and splash each other. <laughs> uh, we like to go eat seafood. My kids just see the food. They don't eat it. These days, unless it rhymes with smackaroni and sneeze, they're not putting it near their mouth, but... We have a great time at the beach, and hopefully, fingers crossed, we're going to be able to go in a couple of weeks. That's it. Well, well, hopefully you can go, but this series has been all about taking you places, that uh, we've taken you to the Jordan River, we've taken you to Nineveh, we've taken you to Damascus. So where are we going to today? Woo, today's a big one. We're going on a marvelous journey to the caverns of En Gedi. Now, En Gedi stands for the spring of the goats, and they'll be fooled by that. I mean, sure, it is a place where all the wild goats like to congregate when they want to have a good time, but it's more than that. It's prime location, 25 miles south of Jerusalem on the western bank of the Dead Sea, and also its beautiful landscape filled with luscious vegetation, natural springs, and beautiful waterfalls makes it a bucket list vacation spot that the entire family will enjoy. And not only that, it's actually the location that we're going to be visiting today. This is the place, the cave of En Gedi, when David, the future king of Israel, he finds solace and sanctuary. He's on the run from a murderous a King Saul who's in a jealous rage, and he's trying to take out David. And in this story, we'll discover the importance of us embracing God's plan and not taking matters into our own hands. That's it. Yeah, no, when you look at this story, it is a story of restraint. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, let's face it, how many times have, have you tried to run ahead of God? 
that you kind of know what you want. And so you try to skip the, the process and you run ahead of God and you do your own thing. And what you need to realize is that it's about waiting on God's timing, not your own instincts. And that's what this story is about, is about waiting on God's timing. And uh, so before we get to that story, we actually got to find out how do we get to En Gedi. That's right. and, and to do that, we need to look at those two major players you were talking about. You got Saul, who was the first king of Israel. Remember when, when uh, the Israelites moved into the promised land, they started getting all settled in. They looked around, they're going, hey, we're the only nation that doesn't have a king. And so they're going to God, we need a king, give us a king. And God says, listen, it's not what it all cracked up to be. You gotta realize that if you get a king, you're gonna have to do what he says. And they said, we don't care. We wanna be like everybody else. Give us a king, give us a king. So God says, okay, you can have a king. And he has his prophet Samuel anoint Saul as the first king of Israel. So he becomes the first king and it's downhill from there. Because now he's thinking, I'm the king, I can do what I want. And he starts leading Israel in the wrong direction. He starts letting in all of these, these other gods into the nation. He starts listening to God. He starts disobeying God. So God says, that's enough. And he moves, removes his spirit from Saul and he toes, goes to his prophet Samuel and he says, listen, we gotta find another king. And he sends him to Bethlehem. He sends him to Bethlehem. He says, look for a guy named Jesse because one of his sons is gonna be the next king. So Samuel goes to Bethlehem and, and Jesse starts parading his sons in front of Samuel. And he starts with his first son and he's big and strapping, looks the part to be the king. He could be the next king. And Samuel goes, it's not him. And then he brings his next son and he goes, no, it's not him either. And he keeps parading these sons out. He gets through seven sons and, and, and Samuel's like, is that it? Because none of these guys are the king. This isn't it. And the guy, Jesse says, well, I do have one more. He said, but, you know, he's my youngest. He's, he's out in the, in the field. He's, he's tending to the sheep. He's in the pasture. And he says, well, bring him here. I got to see him. So, here, so he, brings in, he brings in David. He's all of maybe 15 years old at this time, okay? He's, he's just there. And Samuel looks at him and said, he's the one. He is the one. And I love what it says in 1 Samuel 16. It says that, that we as people look at the outside. We look to see who looks the part. That's the one who should be the king. But God looks on the inside. God looks at the heart. And when he saw David, he knew he had the heart to be the king. And so Samuel anoints him with oil, and he anoints him as the king of Israel. So it's kind of like they got two kings now. As you got the grown-up king Saul, and then you've got the shepherd boy David. So you could see there's a problem. And the problem starts to escalate because David starts making a name for himself. David starts doing these different things. You might've heard about what he does in the Valley of Elah. Remember, his father asked him to take lunch to his brothers, take some food to his brothers who are fighting in Saul's army. And so he goes there and, he, and he's with his brothers and he sees in the valley, there's this giant by the name of Goliath. And everybody's scared of him. Saul's scared of him. The, his brothers are scared of him. Nobody wants to go down there. And David says, well, you know, I've killed a lion. I've killed a bear. I, I, I'll, I'll go take him on. Come on. God's on my side. And he goes down and he kills Goliath. So all of a sudden, he comes to talk of the nation. Everybody's talking about David. I mean, he's trending on Twitter. He's on everybody's Instagram. Everybody is talking about David. Well, Saul thinks, well, this is actually kind of a good thing. I'm gonna put him in charge of all of my armies, man. He can start leading these campaigns, win all these battles for me. This is really good. But then all of a sudden he starts noticing that people aren't talking about him anymore. They're talking about David. And he starts going, what's going on? I mean, they're even singing songs about him. They're going, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his 10,000s. Everybody loves David. And he's going, this is a problem. So he starts coming up, what can I do? What can I do? And he thinks, you know what? If I can get him into the palace, 
If I can get him to be my son-in-law, I can control him. See, you know, that's that whole idea that you keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. And so he's thinking, I'll bring him in. So he says to, to David, I'd love for you to be my son-in-law. And, and David's like, I can't believe. I am so honored that you would think of me this way. And so he, he said, this is my older daughter and, and with a hand. And he's going, I mean, I, I love that you're asking me, but I'm just a shepherd boy. I mean, I, mean, I don't belong in the palace. And, and so what happens, the word gets out that not only is David this great leader and he's this great warrior, but he's so humble. And Saul, it's killing him. It's killing him that's going on because now he's jealous. But then he gets some luck because one of his other daughters, this girl named Michael, she loves David and David loves her. And so now Saul thinks, I got him now. And so he goes to David and he says, hey, you can, you can marry my daughter, but the price to marry her is 100 dead Philistines. You've got to go out and you've got to prove that you've killed 100 Philistines, and you got to bring that back, and then you can marry her. And Saul's thinking, I'll just let the Philistines do my dirty work. He'll go out there. He'll try to kill him. Somebody will kill him, and it's done for. But what does David do? He comes back with 200 dead Philistines. So now he's married his daughter, and his daughter is, is, is all about David. His son has become David's best friend, and he's all about David, and Saul is beside himself. And so one night at dinner, one night at dinner, and David's not there. He looks at his family. He says, I'm done. He said, I'm done with this. There is no way David is going to be the next king. He must die. He must die. And he runs out of the room. Well, now his wife and, and, and Jonathan are, are panicked. They run to David. They go, David, you got to get out of here. You're not just get out of the city. Get out of the, the country. you got to get as far as ways you can. But we've never seen him like this. He's not going to stop until you're dead. So David, he's about 22 years old right now. He's running for his life in the wilderness. Well, when he's out there, he starts gathering around some, some other outlaws that are there, enemies of Saul, because Saul had a bunch of enemies. And now they're just trying to stay one step ahead and just trying to survive. But Saul is now tracking him. And every time he hears where David is, he's going after him. And he hears that he's in the desert of Maon. And so what happens? He takes his arm and he's on his way. And he gets closer and closer, and he is just about to get David when he hears word that the Philistines have attacked the land. And so he's got to stop and turn around and go back to protect Israel. And so David is saved, but just for the moment, because he's not done. And this is where the story really gets good. Oh, yeah. This is like the climax of the story. I mean, everything's kind of crescendoing to this moment in time, but really... The whole saga of David and Samuel, I mean, this is, this is binge-worthy, edge-of-your-seat type stuff. This is like a Netflix original. Anybody watch Netflix? Gordon, that is not a product endorsement. I'm just saying. <laughs> it's kind of like a Netflix original. You know how these things work. They're so good because every single season is filled with episodes that have the same formula. At the end of every episode, you, you think that you've figured out how the plot is going, she's, and then he's, and then they're going to, yeah, I got it. And then, bam, plot twist, episode ends. And you're like, no, got to work tomorrow. I don't have time for this. Man. Okay, I'll do one more. And you watch the next one. Because it's, it's riveting, you can't put it down. That is exactly what's happening with Saul and David. It's just this binge-worthy, edge-of-your-seat type action. So I highly recommend you go back and you're binge-watching it. Allow me to explain. Season one is 1 Samuel chapters 1 through 9. Second season is chapters 10 through 24. And today we're gonna to drop in the last part of the final episode of season two. First Samuel chapter 24. It's gonna be up on the screen for you to follow along. Here's what it says. After Saul 
returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. There we are. There's our location for today. Verse two. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of wild goats. What a name. Does that sound familiar to anybody else? Crags, wild goats. I feel like I've, I've seen this place before on a man versus wild episode with Bear Grylls. You guys seen that show? It's an amazing <laughs> thing. But crags of wild goats. I like the way it sounds. I just don't love it right now. So if you can help me out here, I think it, we need to channel our inner Bear Grylls, everybody online and on campus. And we need to say it all together with a really great English accent, okay? Crags of wild goats, English accent on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. Thank you, someone over here. I feel really good about it. Crocs of wild goats. Man, that sounds dangerously delightful. Scripture's coming alive today, Rob. I can feel it. Spirit move. We sang it earlier. Let's go. Verse three. He, that's Saul, came to the sheep pens along the way. So there's some sheep pens just outside of the cave, and it's really important to take note of that because the sheep pens represent the place that David is called from. Psalm 78 says that God chose David and took him out from the sheep pens. And now you have this cave, the next part of the verse, that Saul went into. So you have the sheep pens, the place that represents where David was called from, and now you have Saul in the cave, which represents the position that David is called to. And so now here's David in between the two of them, in between a place he's called from and a position he's called to. We're gonna unpack what that means in just a minute because it's very, very important. A cave was there and Saul went in to relieve himself. (laughs) We all know what this means, right? I don't have to explain it. Okay, maybe just a little bit. So I feel like I've lived this part of the story a lot in my life. This happens every time my family goes on a long road trip. Here's how it works. My kids also known as Saul in the story. (laughs) They've been holding it since we pulled out of the driveway. But now we're way out in the middle of nowhere and now they're just telling me they have to go. And there's nowhere in sight for us to stop. There's not a a clean establishment. There's not even a questionable McDonald's anywhere nearby. Come on, (laughs) golden arches. Wait, there's a sign. Beacon of light. I'm hopeful. Bucky's. You can hold it. Come on. Wait, what? 1,080 miles away? (laughs) Just a bit out of reach. Now, 1,020 miles? You're holding it. We're stopping. Those bathrooms are immaculate. We're gonna get some fudge. Come on, somebody. (laughs) We might get some furniture. David and his men were far back in the cave. Verse four. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands. So far, so good. I don't have a problem with any of that. Well done, David's men. Until they say, for you to deal with as you wish. Uh Uh-oh. Whistle blown, flag thrown. What's the call in the cave? Unsportsmanlike conduct. David's men. You guys missing sports as bad as I am? (laughs) Struggle's real, you guys. So what happened? David's men gave to David something we know as a half-truth. 
There's only one problem with half-truths and partial promises, that a half-truth is a whole lie. So we don't get partial credit with God. It's not that if we're partly faithful, mostly truthful and sincere, then we get credit for that. I mean, just, just imagine telling your spouse, hey, just I want you to know from the outset, I'm gonna be mostly faithful to you, okay? Let's do this. No, it's all or nothing. It's absolutely faithful or it's not at all. But what was true about what they said was God said he would give your enemies in your hands. That was true. But what negated the statement in totality was the second part. For you to do as you wish. No, no, no. God was gonna give David's enemies into his hands, but it's always according to his will and it's gonna be done his way. Not David's will. Not David's way. But he's convinced. So what does David do? David creeps up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. So here's David. He hears his bad advice from his friends. He sees Saul over there in a very compromised, vulnerable position. And and so he listens to that advice and he very furtively, covertly creeps. It looks really creepy on screen, by the way. I'm saying creeps. (laughs) He creeps up to Saul. And instead of following through with his intention, that was to kill Saul, he stops. Why? Well, I would submit to you because he heard the whisper of the Holy Spirit. See, at this point in time, the Holy Spirit had vacated the premises of Saul, and he had then come and dwelt upon David, the anointed king. And I believe he heard the Holy Spirit whisper to him and say this, this isn't the way. This isn't my will. But I think David, in that same moment, he then hears another voice, a voice that says, yeah, but you're too far in now, turn back. You better do something. Aren't you afraid? David's like, mm-hmm. I'm afraid that my men are gonna think I'm a coward and I gotta lead them right now and in the future, so I gotta do something. And if Saul turns around right now and he sees me close to him, he's gonna take my life unless I have some sort of collateral to convince him that I'm a stand-up guy. Uh, I'll just cut off a corner of his robe. No problem, right? Just, just a piece of a robe. No problem. Not exactly. Verse five, afterward, David was conscience stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the the anointed of the Lord. Now I bet David's men are over here and their jaw drops to the floor. They are confounded, dumbfounded, and they're saying, David, what's your deal, man? Here's your enemy, our enemy, they're gonna kill us, and you spare his life? What is your problem? And secondly, now you're apologizing for cutting a piece of his robe when you could have cut him to pieces, David. What's your deal? You have to understand something about David, that God described David as a man after his own heart. So you see, David had a strong track record of doing things the right way, God's way. He understood the road to royalty was not going to come by cutting corners. So what happened to David? Well, as a practical matter, I think he was just tired. He's just weary, worn out. You know the feeling? The Bible says something about being weary. You know what it says? You're gonna be. You're gonna be. And secondly, he says something about how you should respond. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, 
come to me. Come to me when you're weary, and I will give you rest. So what did David do when he was weary? He went to his friends before he went to his father. And then it all unraveled. See, David, in a moment of weakness, in a moment of weakness, took matters into his own hands. He was tired of being in this place. What was the place called? It was called En Gedi, but it's really called transition. We've all been in a season of transition. We're not where we've been, the sheepfold. We're not where we're going to be, the palace. We're not who we've been or who we were, and we're not who we want to be. We're in the season of transition, and it's a frustrating place, especially when you've done everything you know to do and nothing's happening still. I'm wearing the mask. I'm teaching my kids the right way to, to behave, and they're not. I've applied every job out there, and nothing's coming through. I'm doing all the right things. Nothing's happening. I'm frustrated. And what makes it even worse is whenever this season of transition lasts way longer than you thought it would. See, David is in the cave. It's been about a decade from the time when he was anointed and to the time that he was hoping to be appointed. And so now he's disappointed. So he takes matters into his own hands. He cuts a corner and he feels grief-stricken about it because he did things his way and not God's way. So here's what we're gonna do for the next few minutes. We're gonna unpack how we can avoid caving in the cave and get tripped up in transition. Mm-hmm. You know, I think when most people see this story though, they think, you know, really what's the big deal? What's right. the big deal? I mean, he could have killed him and he didn't do that. So really what the big deal is and what you have to understand is the fact that he knew that's not how God wanted to take him from the pastor to the palace. Mm. See, he knew that that's what it was because he had already set priorities and he had gone against the priorities that he had. And what we have to understand, if we don't establish priorities, that's our first thing, establish priorities, that we're gonna take matters into our own hands as well that we will end up doing things our way. See, he put God first. He said, God, you're my priority. In fact, that's what uh, the Apostle Paul said in, in Acts 13, He was saying this. He said, he said, the reason why that God removed Saul and put David on the throne is because when he looked at David, he saw a man after his own heart and he saw a man who would do his will. He saw a man who said, it's not about what I want, it's about what God wants. And that's why he was so heartbroken because in the cave, he knew this is what he wanted, not what God wanted. And what we need to realize is if we're gonna make sure that we don't take matters in our hands, we have to establish the priority and we've gotta hold on to that. So what does that look like? What does that require of us? Well, Micah 6, 8 says that what it requires is that we act justly, that we, we love mercy and we walk humbly with our God. That's what we need to do if we're going to establish a priority, that we act justly. And what that is, is just basically saying, that I know the difference between right and wrong and I'm gonna do the right thing. David knew the difference between right and wrong. And he didn't do the right thing right there. He knew what he should be doing, but he didn't do it. Jesus said, this is how you know the difference between right and wrong. He said this in in Matthew 7, 12. He said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. He didn't say do unto others as others do unto you because at that point he could have said, this is what Saul's about to do is kill me, so I have every right to kill him. And that's what happens is too many times we live lives where it's all about getting even. It's all about getting even with somebody. And what you need to understand is getting even means that you actually are coming down to their level. Mm. See, you're getting at the same level of people you don't even like. You don't like what they're doing, but you've come down to their level. And, And Jesus is saying, no, 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 don't come down. Stay above the fray. 
Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And then he says, love mercy. And what is love mercy? It's just giving somebody something they don't deserve. Saul didn't deserve to be let go there. Saul didn't deserve what David gave him by letting him live. But that's what Jesus calls us to do. And all of us that have given our lives to Christ, we should understand that more than anybody else because Jesus took the price for our sin. We're not having to pay for what we have done. He said, no, I'm gonna take that. I'm gonna take it all the way to the cross and I'm gonna die for you so you don't have to pay. We should understand what that means. And what Jesus was saying, I did it for everybody. That means you don't get to pick and choose who you love mercy with, who you show mercy to. Jesus actually said this in, in Luke 6. He said, he said, love your enemies. He said, it's easy to love those who love you back. He said, but you need to be showing mercy to those who don't love you back. Yeah. Just in that situation that, that Saul uh, and David were in. I need to show mercy to this man even though he does not love me back. And then he said this. He said, walk humbly with, my, with your God. And that just means, God, I'm gonna do it your way. God, I'm gonna surrender to your will. It's not about what I want anymore. It's about what you want. It's Proverbs 3, 5. It's, it's trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. See, you know what that verse says? That verse says that in life, you're gonna come up with situations where you wanna do one thing and God wants you to do something else. That's what that verse says. And he says, and when you get to that point, don't trust yourself, trust God. Trust God's way. Now, I've got a question for you. How many of you believe that God wants the best for you? How many of you believe God wants the best out of your life? Well, if you believe that, that God wants the best for you, why wouldn't you trust his ways? Why in that situation when God says do this and you wanna do this, why wouldn't you trust his way? Because if your way was actually best for you, he would have picked it. And that's what you need to understand is trust him. So the first thing you have to do if you're gonna make sure you don't take matters in your own hands is you gotta establish that priority. Yes, it's mission critical, right? I mean, establishing the priority is super important to us because the priorities we make determine the path that we take, right? Mm -hmm. And if we're not careful, we can fall into the trap like David did where we see this opportunity, but it's actually an obstacle masquerading as a blessing from God. That ever happened to you? It's kind of like you see a job opportunity. You're like, man, I'm going to be paid more. This is going to be great. It's a, this must be from God. It's a great opportunity. But because you're not working with that discernment of the Holy Spirit, you're just seeing this as an opportunity like David did in the cave. And maybe you take it without really praying about it and thinking it through. And it's going to cause you to relocate. And, and little did you know that it's going to create a rift between you and your wife and, or and your kids. But it was an opportunity, which really was an obstacle masquerading as a blessing from God. So the real important thing for us is to establish the priority of Jesus. I'm gonna serve Jesus. Everything else will fall into its proper place because the priorities I make will determine the path that I take. But the second thing you can do very practically is to embrace the position. Mm -hmm. Every position that we are in has a purpose. Yes. And every season that we're in is actually a setup for the next season. But for some reason, we have this mindset where we associate purpose with a position we don't have yet. We, we think that for us to have a meaningful, purposeful life, we actually have to step in and fulfill a position that's currently unfulfilled. It sounds like this, if I just had that job, if I was just married, if I was just single, 
if I just had kids, if my kids were just grown up, if I didn't have as much debt, if I had more money, um, if I drove that car, if I was just smarter, if I could sing, but I'm sorry to break it to you, you can't, okay? You just can't sing. Don't worry about it. Let them up here do it. You just make a joyful noise. I'm just kidding. We think sometimes if and until then, and God's saying, no, 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 right now, right now. Embrace your position right now because it has a purpose. And the season is going to teach you something that the next season won't teach you and you need this to be able to succeed in this next season of your life. Colossians 3.17 says it this way. Let every detail in your lives, sounds pretty inclusive, everything, words, actions, whatever, be done in the name of the master Jesus. That's our established priority. Thanking God the Father every step, or you could say position, of the way. So what this verse is trying to tell us is that it's important for us to embrace every single step, every single position. Think about, just think about this as a practical matter. If I chose not to embrace every step. And no, I think I'm gonna embrace every other step. Why don't I see that coming? Let me try that again. That was, that was a mistake. I'm gonna try it one more time. Wait a second, why is my life stagnant? Why do I wake up with the same bad attitude? Why am I always pessimistic about what's on the horizon? Why is my marriage not improving? Why are my kids looking at me without respect? What is going on here? Was well, probably because I'm trying to skip a step. Or it looks like this. Well, I will not be stagnant. I'm going to just seize any opportunities that I have, but I'm still gonna do it every other step. <laughs> You're gonna stumble. God doesn't want us to have a life that's stagnant and he doesn't want us to have a life that's filled with stumbling. He wants to make our life straight. Pastor Rob just mentioned a moment ago, Proverbs 3, verse five through six, and the last part of that is acknowledge him in all your ways, in every position, right? And he will make your path straight. That's what David did. He didn't do it perfectly. And by the way, you're gonna stumble. Don't, don't misread this sermon. It's not about being perfect. Yeah, right, that's the devil's uh, mission for you. Hey, you be perfect. I know you're gonna fail and you're gonna hate yourself and you're gonna turn on God. You should be perfect. That sounds like the devil. The devil's a liar. God's saying, you don't be perfect. You just strive. My son is gonna be perfect on your behalf. So here's David, every step of the way. I don't like that my father rejects me and I don't make the cut but I embrace this position. God's teaching me something. Even though I am in the sheep fields and I'm shoveling sheep poop, I am going to embrace this position. Even though I'm serving bread and cheese at the battle lines at minimum wage, I'm gonna embrace this position, God. You're teaching me something. Even though I'm playing the harp for King Saul and he's throwing spears at me and I'm having to dodge him every turn, I'm gonna embrace this position. Even though I'm having to fight Goliath with the sling, I'm gonna embrace you. Even though I'm having to run from my life from a tantrum-throwing, power-wielding egomaniac. If you have a two-year-old, you definitely empathize with David. I'm gonna embrace this position. I'm gonna embrace the position of being king. Every step of the way, I'm going to embrace it because God's on the move. He wants to bring me with him, but he, he won't do it. If I'm stagnant or if I'm stumbling, I gotta walk straight with him and embrace every position along the way. That's it. You know, I, I, when you were saying that, I was hearing Bill saying that, yeah, we might stumble, but when you're doing it God's way, you're gonna stumble on the rock. You're not gonna fall off the rock. Oh. 
And I think that's the thing you have to realize is when you're doing it God's way. And, you know, speaking of that, if, if I would have done what you did, I'd, <laughs> I'd still be down there. I mean, I'd, I'd be going, somebody, I need to get up. I can't, I can't do that. But it was, that's such great things that he's talking about there. I was hearing so many different things. And, and the first thing that came to my mind, it was Ephesians 2.10. It's the fact that we're God's workmanship, that we were created to do the works that he's already planned for us. And that's what we need to do. And if there's ever a reason why you should embrace what you're doing right now, it's because this is what God has for you. Where you are now is where God wants you to be. Where you are now is where God wants you to be. But what you have to do is listen to what Scott was saying. It doesn't mean that's where you're gonna be tomorrow. It doesn't matter, that's where you're gonna be in six months. It's not where you're gonna be in a year, but you need to embrace where you are right now. This is what I always say to, especially to young people. I look at, at Proverbs 18, 16, and it says, your gift will make room for you. Mm-hmm. Your gift will make room for you. What you'd have to realize in Romans 12, it says all of us have been given gifts. They're all different. Everybody in here is different. God has made you unique. You are the best you, and you need to embrace who you are. You don't need to look and see what somebody else has and what somebody else is doing because God made you this age. Actually, when you look at somebody else's, what you're saying is, God, you messed up. You should have made me like that person. You should have made me like that person. No, God made you who you are because that's who he wants you to be. And he wants you to take there. So you have to embrace the gifts that God has given you. And when you do that, it will open doors. It'll open doors. When you're faithful with a little, you get more. It opens that door, which kind of leads us to the third point, which is you need to endure the process. You need to endure the process. Every place has a start and every place has an end. Okay, but it's not the start that matters. It's the end that matters. And the only way that you're gonna get to the end is you have to endure the process. Zechariah 4.10, it says this, do not despise small beginnings. Don't be upset where you're at. Don't be upset where you're starting. It says, because the Lord rejoices when the work begins. See, the Lord rejoices when you're ready to start taking those steps Mm -hmm. with you. When you're ready to start taking those steps with him. The Lord rejoices with that. That's why the James, the brother of Jesus, said that, that he said, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. He said, look at everything you're going through with a different mindset. Look at everything that you're going through with the mindset that God is using that to prepare you for what he has for you. You ever thought about that? That what you're going through today, what you're dealing with today is actually preparing you for what God has for you tomorrow? Everything that you are dealing with today is preparing you for what God has for you tomorrow. That's why he says it's the testing of your faith. The testing of your faith. Why do we take tests? We take tests to see if we're ready for promotion. We're ready to go to that next level. He said, it's the testing of your faith that, that, that causes you to have perseverance. And what is perseverance? It's ability to stand in the face of all circumstances. And the stand that they're talking about is trusting God. It's not taking matters in your own hands. And so you take these tests so that you're ready to promote, to go to that next level. And that's why it says, let perseverance finish its work. Let God take you to where he wants you to be. Scott, I look at our lives and I think when we go back, we've had this conversation and we look at what's going, where we are now is not where we started. That's right. In fact, if you look at where we started, we would never think we would be in this situation. No. I didn't. I mean, I started playing tennis. I was a tennis pro. I was teaching tennis. I went out and I was started teaching people. And the, and the strange thing about that, I started off teaching tennis to people who I used to call Mr. and Mrs. 
I call them Mr. and Mrs. And, and now they're looking to me to lead them. I'm seeing people that are much more accomplished than I am. And I'm actually having to lead them in what to do. But it set me up for when I started running a country club because now I was having to lead people that were in different things than I was. I, was having, I didn't know anything about the food business or running a pool or a pro shop or all of the, the maintenance stuff. And I had to be able to lead people who were doing that. I had to embrace the gift that God had given me. And embracing that gift and doing that led me to my first full-time ministry. I started singing along the way. And, and so my first job was, was a worship pastor at one of the largest churches in America. Well, I'm having to lead people that know a lot more than I do. I don't know how to run a soundboard. I don't know how to run a light board. I don't know anything about the video or all this going on or the band. But I had to be able to lead these people. And it's all this taking those steps of what you do. And then I was put over a radio and TV ministry and I started learning the business side. Started learning the business side of ministry. And it got me to where I am now because now here at the church, I run the business side of what the church is all about. But then when I was doing this about a few years ago, Bill looked at me and he said, hey, have you ever thought about speaking? And I said, no, I've been in ministry for over 15 years. I never spoke. And he said, well, you wanna do it. So I did, I stepped up. And I'm back to what I did before. I'm teaching. I'm teaching people. And so that's why you have to understand where you are now is not where God necessarily has for you, but you have to endure the process. You have to stay in step with him because he's got a place that he wants to take you. That's exactly right. That's why right now, all I can think about is pizza. Okay, I'm just being honest right now. <laughs> Probably because it's noon and I can smell the fumes coming through the camera of those that are eating and watching. They're breaking bread and also worshiping Jesus. Well done, you guys. We're gonna be released in just a minute. But have you ever noticed that in a box of pizza, it gives you two cooking options? There's a microwave option and there's an oven bake option. <laughs> Raise your hand if you do the microwave option. Raise your hand. Just the kids. Okay, great. The kids are knowing how to use a microwave. Thank goodness. We all want the oven bake option. The reason why we would dare put the Totinos, that cheap dollar pizza in the microwave, is if we're hungry and we want it right now. I got my kids, gotta eat it for my sanity right now. So we put it into the microwave. But you know what happens with that cheap microwaved instant pizza? It's warm on the outside, cold on the inside. We're going somewhere. Now what about that oven baked pizza? DiGiorno. <laughs> put it in the oven. It takes two, three, maybe four times as long to cook it. But when you take it out, it's warm on the outside and it's warm on the inside. It's had enough time to undergo the process to mature for everything to be cooked just right, just like the one who crafted it and put the ingredients together wanted it to be eaten. Here's the thing, you and I can microwave our lives. We can be on the instant plan, but God wants to oven bake your life. He wants to be on the installment plan and it's for your good and his glory. Come on, somebody. <laughs> now, I'm trying to help a single person right now. I know you wanna be in that relationship where it's all hot on the outside, but it's gonna be dead and cold on the inside if you skip a step. I know you want that promotion, but to be in that position of leadership, we better learn how to serve because if serving's beneath us, leading is above us. Here's what happened to the nation of Israel. They said, God, we want a king right now, instantly. We wanna be like other nations. He says, no, I'm, I'm your king, just trust me. No, 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 God, we trust you. And, but we want to have a king right now. And here's what happened. I believe in heaven, the Lord was having a conversation with himself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. 
and we are going to give them a king right now because I'm not going to make you undergo the baking process. I'm gonna give you permission and free will to microwave your life. And so you want a king right now? Fine, Saul's your guy, but he's gonna be abusive. He's gonna be full of pride. He's gonna make a lot of terrible decisions because he didn't have time to be baked thoroughly and have the maturity to be able to lead my people. But I got a guy in mind, his name is David. He's too young right now because I don't want him to be discovered. I want him to be developed. So I'm gonna make sure that he hangs out in the sheep folds for a little while so he gets to used to the smell of sheep because when he's gonna have to be around people, they smell too. And their, their junk just looks different than animals' junk. And so here's the thing I'm trying to say. I wanna make sure David, who is gonna set up my kingdom through my son Jesus. See, they're gonna call my son Jesus when he's on the earth. They're gonna call him the son of David. And so I gotta make sure that he carries that name well. But it's the inst- installment plan. David endured this process. It took 15 years between the time David was anointed until he was appointed. And it was a rough go at it. It was long and hard. Didn't come easy. And he almost quit a couple times. He cut a few corners. And we might too. But if you walk with God closely and you cut a corner, the Holy Spirit will gently whisper to you, that's not my way. I have a higher way. And if you will repent and return back to the Father, you'll be fully restored and collateral damage will be minimized. 15 years. But if we go back to that cave for just a moment, we can find a psalm that he recorded. Psalm 57, verse two, here's what it says. I will cry out to God most high, to God who accomplishes all things for me. There's two parts in this process that David notes in this psalm. Number one, I'm responsible for obedience. Part two, you're responsible for the outcomes. Mm-hmm. But you gotta establish the process. You gotta embrace the position. You gotta endure the process. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word that it pierces our hearts and gives us insight as to how we can live with and for you. I pray that we will establish the priority of Jesus to serve him and him alone. And in doing so, we're putting ourselves in the best position to walk that straight path that leads to blessings, leads to your glory. Pray we'll embrace every position and not, not look at other positions or jobs or status to find purpose. Right here, right now, there is purpose for this position. And we'll endure the process. We won't grow weary. But when we do, we'll run to you. And you will give us rest. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today with us. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us so that we can follow up with you this week by visiting metchurch.com. We look forward to seeing you again next week.